Hello, my friends. This is Pastor Christopher Alam at home in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I trust you are doing well and you are blessed in all things. We have been talking about the, uh, we are, I mean, we are in the subject of uh, God's grace and man's faith. And yesterday we talked about the battleground of the mind and how the battles of faith are often fought in the realm of the mind. And so uh, the last thing we talked about was the natural mind, the mind of the natural man. And I read to you from 1 Corinthians 2, 14, but the natural man receives not the thing of God. That means, a, and this is both Christians and non-Christians. And that means people whose spirits are not developed, who still think with the natural mind as a natural human being does. Um, uh, because see, a lot of churches don't teach you how to develop your spirit. They just uh, minister to you in the realm of the mind and they minister to, you, do, uh, minister to you in the realm of the flesh and you keep your flesh in order, don't sin, don't do certain things, don't do this, that and the other and, uh, and then you'll be okay. But really you have to develop your spirit man, your spiritual man because only when you develop your spiritual man can you understand the things of the spirit? He says, because the natural man cannot receive the things of the spirit of God. Why? He says, because they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. So you have to develop your spirit. A spiritual person is a person who's, who is spiritually developed, whose spirit man is developed. Now, the next verse I want to show you when I'm talking when I talk about the natural man in his man in his natural state, both saved and unsaved, uh, it says Proverbs 23 verse 7, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Now this is interesting. It says, as you think in your heart, and here in this case, heart doesn't mean just the spirit, it means your whole inner inner man. And sometimes these terms in the Bible are used interchangeably. Heart actually means, you know, is the spirit of man. But sometimes heart actually means the entire uh, inner man. That is your soul and your spirit. And sometimes the word soul means when it says, bless the Lord, O my soul. It's not just your mind. It's your entire inner being because it says, and all that is within me. So anyway, these terms are used interchangeably. And you can know when the Bible, what the Bible means in this by the context. So it says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So it is interesting. Um, you are what you think in your heart. So um, that is why it's so important for us to get our minds renewed. So we start in uh, thinking in terms of what God says about us. Because really, it doesn't matter what Jesus has done for you. as uh, But because if you think like the natural man, that's the results you will get. So what I mean by saying that, for example, Jesus says to you that uh, uh, surely Jesus upon the cross bore your sicknesses, carried your pains and by his stripes you're healed. That's what Jesus says. But if you don't think that way, but you think that, you know, I'm a normal human being on this earth. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm going to go to heaven, praise God. But while I'm on, I'm on this earth, I'm subject to everything that everybody else is subject to. I will get sick and I will die like everybody else. And, you know, if others are getting sick, I will also get sick. What makes me think that I'm exempt now? That's what you think like. So if that is what you think like, that is what you will get in life. So as a man thinks in his heart, 
So is he? Now, if you say, you know, I have, I have uh, you know, I know people uh, who say like this, you know, there's no point in getting an education. My whole family is poor. We have always been poor. We have always been working class, blue collar. None of us has ever had an education. So it doesn't make any difference. That is our lot in life. That's the way we will be. Well, if that's what you believe, if that's what you think in your heart, that's what you'll be. So we have to change our way of thinking. So we don't think in terms of our natural circumstances or our natural history or our family history. Like some people say, well, I have this hereditary disease in my family. Everybody dies of this disease. I've got six brothers. They all died of this. So I'm also going to die of it. So listen, it doesn't matter whether Jesus bore your diseases or not. If that is what you believe, that is what you'll get. That's what it means as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So we really, really have to change our way of thinking because we don't want to uh, end up, you know, without experiencing the blessings that Christ has purchased for us upon the cross just because we believe in a certain way and we believe that way because of our natural history or family history or circumstances. No, we have, our, we have to have our minds renewed. So the natural man thinks, you know, I'm another human being on this earth. Yes, I'm saved. I'm going to go to heaven, but I should not expect anything better or anything more than anybody else in this world. So that is my lot. That is my fate. And so, so be it. No. That, you know, I've heard Christians say things like, so what coronavirus? I, I don't, if I, get, if I get the coronavirus, I get the coronavirus. I can get run over by a bus tomorrow. I can be hit by lightning tomorrow. Well, you know what? Is that what you really think like? Are you actually counting on what Jesus has done for you? Do you really mean when you write those things on Facebook? Do you really mean those things? You know, you should ask yourself because the scripture does say, as a man thinks in us out, so is he. If that is the way you think, that's the way you are. But you and I, we don't want to be that way. We don't want to think like the natural man in his natural state with his unrenewed mind. We want to walk like men and women who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus and we are seated at the right hand of God in Christ Jesus as heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. We have to think that way. All right. So now then the next kind of person, the natural man after natural man, comes a double-minded man. Now, this is what the Bible says about the double-minded man. In James uh, chapter 1, verses 6 to 8, he said, but he's talking about, you know, a man who needs something from God. He said, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven by the wind and tossed. That means when you ask from something from God, do it in faith. Don't waver. That he say, oh, praise God, you lay hands on me and I've been prayed for. I believe I receive the next, next day. You know, I don't think I receive because I don't feel any better. And so <laughs> your faith and your belief goes up and down with your mood swings. Now that's the, that's the double-minded man. He says, for he who wavers is like a wave of the sea driven by the wind and tossed. And then this is what he said. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man shouldn't think that he should receive anything of the Lord. Because 
Verse 8, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Faith is stable. Faith looks at Jesus, keeps its mind on Jesus, no matter what the circumstances are, whatever the thermometer of life reads, whatever happens around him, he trusts the Lord and his word at all times. That's a single-minded man, okay? So the next after the natural man was, is the double-minded man. Now there's a, there are people who, who are continuously assailed by fear and worry, and fear and worry are great enemies of yours. And people worry, you know, some people worry about things like there'll be war or there'll be disease, there'll be starvation or they're worried about their children or they're worried about, you know, some people, you know, you don't really have to have a reason to worry. The devil will make sure that you worry about something or the other. And, and the Bible says, you know, this is a scripture. It says that the wicked fleeth when nobody pursues him, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Uh, a believer shouldn't worry or fear. Uh, it shouldn't have unfounded fears and worries hounding him. It says the wicked flees when no one pursues him, but the righteous are bold as a lion. If you're the righteousness of God in Christ, you have Jesus living in you, you should stand strong and bold under every circumstances and not succumb to worry or to fear. And it says in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now the word fear here is an interesting word. It doesn't really mean fear. It means timidity. God has not given us the spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Uh, interestingly, let me tell you what timidity means. Timidity is actually a trait developed in the soul, in the mindset of a man as a result of yielding continually to fear. Let me put it this way. All of us, even the strongest of us, are assailed by different fears. Different circumstances come against us and they cause us to fear. It happens to all of us. Nobody's immune from it, okay? But <clears throat> it's how you respond to that fear. Some people respond in faith by speaking the word of God and taking their stand on the word of God and facing that fear and they're the ones who defeat that fear. But the ones who, who back down and in fear, you know, they, 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 uh, they back down. Every single circumstance, every single attack that comes against their mind, they back down, they back down. And that habit of continually backing down from every challenge, from, you know, in fear, that backing down, that, you know, that continually or continuous backing down, creates a trait within my soul and that is called timidity. That's what a timid person is. A timid person is one who has a habit of backing down from every challenge. So he's like always withdrawn and timid. And that's why it is. But he says, but God has not given us a spirit of timidity. He has not. Timidity is never of God. God has not given us the spirit of timidity, but he has given us the, uh, given us the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. And that actually means self-discipline. He has given us self-discipline. Hallelujah. Self-discipline that we can look at every challenge and we can steal ourselves and face it head on by faith. Amen.
So now, here are certain exhortations for us in the Word of God that when it comes to what we should do, you know, how we can live in peace. And these are exhortations, but we can do these things only if our minds are renewed. If our minds are, if we do not train our minds to think in line with the Word of God, these exhortations can be very, very difficult. So these exhortations have not been put in the Bible for us to read and to feel, oh, how wonderful this is what God says. But these exhortations have been put there for us to take them to heart and actually practice them and live on them. Because when we do that, they will give us peace. Okay. But as I said, again, it is impossible to Follow these exhortations unless your mind is changed. You have because if you are too gripped by panic and fear, it's very hard. Um, but that's why the, the the that's why I have this urgency. We must all renew our minds because it is an important part of faith. Faith works better if we renew our minds. Now we are going to talk about that in the, I believe in the next lesson we'll talk about that. But I, I'm sorry. Isaiah 26 verse 3, it says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. He says, God will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is stayed on him because he trusts in him. Hallelujah. If I keep my mind stayed on Jesus and his word, God will keep me in perfect peace. So that's the key to keep my mind stayed on Jesus. As I said, people have strong, people have a low attention span. They're being assailed by so many things. And then, then in the midst of it, the word of God calms the seas in your mind and God speaks his word to you. So the secret to peace is to ignore all those storms and all those winds that are buffeting you, all those noises that draw your attention and to keep your focus on Jesus and on his word alone. And when you do that, you will keep him in perfect peace. And that's how something I practice in my life whenever I feel attacked and sometimes think I can almost get into a panic about things. So I've learned to train myself. I just stop. I just stop and uh, I do two things. I, I begin to speak the word of God. I just, and then I pray in tongues. I do these two things in combination. Boy, when I begin to pray in the spirit and pray in the spirit, I feel things begin to calm down. Praying in the spirit, praying, praying in tongues calms things down and it helps me focus. And then I begin to speak the word and speak the word, speak the word and focus on that word. And then the word kind of, and suddenly all around me, the storms of my life are still and I can think clearly again. And uh, so I learned to say to myself that it cannot be, it can, I say this, it can only be the way God has said it and it cannot be any other way. Hallelujah. And that's how, what it means, God will keep you in perfect peace if your mind is stayed on him because you trust in him. Okay, Philippians 4 verse 8. It says, it tells us, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You know, uh, let me let me make a confession. There were years, man, I used to get so riled up and irritated and 
and angry when I would see people do other things, especially if they were ministers and preachers, you know. Uh, he said this and he said that. But the ye years later, I noticed that whatever I think or I say, it doesn't make any difference. The only thing it would do is take my own peace away. So the Lord told me, uh, whatever is good, think of those things. You don't, you know, you don't have to get ulcers talking about other people's bad conduct, right? And if, if the whole world did that, I'm sure I have faults that I'm not aware of that other people are talking about. I know, and I know there are people who think I'm a rotten human being or because of whatever reason. There's people here in Lancaster who don't like me. People in my home church who don't like me because, you know, maybe they don't like my style of preaching or my style of ministry. But I've, I've learned just to, you know, just just to let those things go. And, and uh, other people doing things that are wrong, let those things go. And just just uh, just focus on uh, on it says whatsoever is right. This is God's word. This is not a pep talk from a psychiatrist. It says whatsoever is noble whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You know, in my 44 years in ministry, the happiest, the calmest people I have met in my life are those who don't seem to be too bothered about the wrong things other people are doing or preaching and neither are they bothered about what other people are saying about them. They're at peace with God, peace with themselves. And they say, you know what? My life is in God's hands. I will be sincere and keep my heart pure. I will serve the Lord. And whatever other people do, let God take care of it. This is the best attitude to have. To think of those things that are good. Whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, whatever is praiseworthy. Think of those things. Now, uh, Colossians 3, 1 to 2, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. In other words, if you have been raised with Christ and are seated together with Christ in heavenly places, it says, put your mind on eternal things. That's what he's saying. You see, there are temporal things. There are eternal things. Temporal things are things that, uh, you know, there's two kinds of temporal things. There are temporal things that we need, that we cannot do without, like I need food, I need clothes, I need things for my family. Those are temporal things. Then there are temporal things that I don't really need. You know, some people say, oh, I want to buy that car and uh, you know, it's always something better and more expensive. And some people like a regular watch is not good enough, but they need to have this expensive thing. You know, some people, they, they live for trinkets. And, uh, uh, you know, so there's two kinds of temporal things. But then there's eternal things and uh, uh, that are things in heaven. And Jesus basically said to us, he says, uh, he, he said, don't labor for, uh, uh, you know, the things on earth that perish. And, he's, and then he said, lay up your treasures in heaven, not on earth, because on earth they corrupt, they perish, but in heaven they're there for eternity, right? And then, um, then there's an exhortation which says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, 
be eternal and everything you need on earth will be given to you. And that's the way to live. Don't, don't worry about these things on earth because you know what? You can, you, you can use all your faith and all your money to buy something expensive and it's a part of American culture, materialism and Christianity and it's people legitimize it by preaching about it. You switch on TV and this if televangelists, they're talking about money all the time as if uh, acquiring these very expensive things, that's a sign of spirituality. It is not, it doesn't make any difference whether you have them or not, right? And I mean, someone gave me a $10,000 Rolex watch and God bless him, it's a wonderful gesture. I have it, but it doesn't make any difference to me. It means, you know, it's nothing that I put my life upon or I testify about or preach about or believe God for. It's, it's nothing. So Jesus said, you know, put your... Uh, put your eyes on things that are above because those are the things that you really have forever. Things on earth, they're temporal. So set your mind on things above and not things beneath. And most of people's worries are about earthly things. Believe me, nobody I know, no Christian I know is ever worried about because is living in worry and fear because of heavenly things. It's about earthly things. So Jesus said, set your mind on things that are above and not things that are on earth. Hallelujah. This is great advice straight from the scripture given to us. Amen. Set your mind on things above. Now, Proverbs 3, 5, <coughs> it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. It says, you trust the Lord with all your heart and not in your own wisdom. Uh, and that's something we all have to learn to do. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. He knows how to make your path straight. He knows how to reach you. He knows how to bless you. And he knows how to take care of you. And then Romans 8 and 6. He says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Again, if you have your mind on the things of the flesh, that is death. That's what the scripture says. I didn't put it there. It's written there by the Apostle Paul in his letters, letter to the Romans, Romans 8 and 6, 8, 6. But to, when you put your mind on the Spirit, on the things of God, it is life and peace. Amen. So we have these wonderful exhortations and we can all agree and look at them and say they are wonderful. But we cannot really, we can look at them you know, like whatsoever this thing is lovely and right and pure and admirable. Think on those things. Then it says that put your put your uh, mind, your mind, your mind, not your heart, your mind on things that are above, not things on earth. Uh, especially living in a material, uh, materialistic society, a society where people are very, very material. You know, I remember years ago, years ago in Sweden and uh, some of these uh, preachers, pastors had been influenced by American prosperity preachers. I was speaking at a conference and I was driving an old Volvo and I drove my uh, old Volvo, my second hand Volvo. It ran well, but it was old. I parked it there and everybody had these fancy cars. I mean, they were not like American cars, but by European standards, they were nice fancy cars. And I remember a couple of the brothers were making fun of me. They say, hey, Christopher, you went to Rama, you're a fake preacher. Look at the car you're driving. And it hurt a little bit, you know, and I, I said, brothers, 
uh, you know what I spend my money on. They say, what are you spending money on? You should buy a new car, man. You know, this, this is not a good testimony, driving a car like this. I said, well, I tell you what I spend my money on. I said, last year, I won so many hundred thousand souls for Jesus in Africa and in Asia. That's what I spend my money on. When I do a crusade, it costs me so much money. And uh, I could go without a couple of crusades and buy a car like yours. But it's not worth it because I cannot take it with me. Uh, but the souls who come to Jesus in my crusades, I can take them with me to heaven. So your car in a few years will be rusted and soon you'll be wanting another car even nicer than this one. But I have my old car. It takes me places. But I'm, I have other things that uh, other treasures and that is heavenly treasures is souls for Jesus. Because I said to this guy, then I said, you know what? The only thing we can take with us from this earth to heaven is souls. And then after that, he was, it got quiet. They were, they, you know, they were all quiet. Nobody ever teased me for my old car again. But, but you know, again, as I'm saying, we can talk about these things and, uh, and trust in the Lord. But we can look at these things, all these exhortations, and we can say, these are all great. I want to do it. But I can tell you that it is difficult unless the mind is renewed. And I'll tell you tomorrow what we should do in order to renew our minds, how we can have a renewed mind, because that is the key to everything. A renewed mind, before I end, let me just say this, a renewed mind is a mind that is in, that thinks in line with the word of God. And not because you force it to, but when you train your mind to just, Think in line with the word of God. So you train your mind, uh, you train your mind to think in line with the word of God all the time, most of the time. That's a renewed mind. And the more renewed your mind is, the more your mind will think in line with the word of God. And it'll be like a default feature. You won't have to struggle to believe what the word of God says because there's all these other things bombarding your head. But your mind, you, you, you have all this other information. Yes, you do. All the worldly information, all, all those things speak to you. But the strongest voice that rises within you uh, tells you this is what the word of God says. And then suddenly there's a calm and you speak and act out of the word of God. That, my friends, is a renewed mind. Well, God bless you and we will see you tomorrow.